Well, it's always great to be here with you, uh, to be able to look at God's word together. Um, how many of you remember to set your clocks? Most of you guys, yeah. I never worry about this service. First service, always worry a little bit. I figure if they forgot, they'd be at this service. So maybe some of you forgot and you're here. Uh, by the way, if you're watching this online throughout the week, uh, if you forgot, that's why your week's been a little messy. Uh, you might want to check those. I had all my clocks set by 2 o'clock yesterday, uh, and my wife said, you're crazy. Uh, but that's part of being OCD a little bit. I went around and just wanted to make sure I had that done and had all my watches done and all that. I had to go online and figure out how to do one of my watches, but I, 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 got, it, I got it all taken care of. So just give you a little insight into me. I had it done by 2, knew we were okay, did it 12 hours early. Uh, I went to bed at uh, 11.30 uh, Saturday time and 12.30 uh, Sunday time, uh, but I knew, what, I knew that because my clock said 12.30 because it was already set. Did anyone get up at 2 and do it? Okay, yeah, that's all on hand. That's amazing. Just, uh, okay. And so uh, we're, we're in the book of Romans, right? We're, we're in this series. And uh, we studied, of course, the first part of the book um, in the uh, fall. We looked at Romans 1 through 8. And uh, here in the winter, we've been looking at Romans 9 through 16. Believe it or not, we're, this is like the last two messages this week and next week as we sort of wrap up the book. And Paul actually takes us a little different direction. So we've been looking at uh, especially Romans 12, 1 through 15, 23, Paul gives us this amazing picture of the Christian life. And he lays out the foundation in Romans 12, 1. He says that we as believers, in light of everything that Paul has written for the first 11 chapters in Romans about coming to faith in Christ and the life that we have in Jesus Christ, he, he says, what is the believer's response to that? He says, well, the only reasonable thing is to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, to give our whole selves to God everything. He says, that's the reasonable thing. And if you say, well, how do we do that? Well, he says, you give your whole self to God. In Romans 12, 2, he transforms the way we think. From the inside out, he makes us more and more like Jesus. And, and, and when we speak of that, we're talking about sanctification, being more like Jesus how? In his character, in his love, in his, in his purpose, in his priorities. And this is the work that God does in us. It's, it's the Romans 12, 1 is the underpinning of everything he writes from Romans 12, 1 through, through 15, um, 13. And and so there's this powerful message in which Paul has been, has been unraveling for us this picture of how does a Christian live in, in, in response to one another, to those outside of the church, to those in government. I mean, he, he has laid out the whole thing for us. And he turns, he turns uh, down a different road for us now as he's wrapping up the letter. And he gives us some personal notes. And, and he starts by doing sort of a job review. Now, it, it, if you're in a, in a sort of a, a job where you get a review here and there, you know what a job review is. A job review looks at what you've done, what you haven't done, what you should have done. And Paul gives a picture, if you will, of his past ministry. He, he wants us to understand of what he's been up to. And in a way, it's, it's a living example of Paul saying, since I'm not just writing this to you, but I'm living it, he said, I want you to understand what God has done in and through me as a result of Romans 12.1. As I've given myself fully to God and he's given me this calling, here's the work that he's accomplished through my life. And so he gives us this review and this review is so helpful for us to look at because it reminds us that we in our daily life, at least in a regular rhythm, should be looking at our lives in Christ and sort of doing the same type of review, understanding what we're, where we're at with God. How is our how is our relationship with him? What is he calling us to do? Have we done those things? Uh, what areas of improvement are there in our life? And, and my guess is if you're like me much, and, and we bring that to him humbly and say, Lord, I want to be more like Jesus. 
And so Paul lets us in and he shares his sort of his past ministry, what he's been up to in Romans 15, 14 through 22. And I want to invite you to look up at the screen and we'll follow along together. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. It's a pretty powerful picture he gives us. And in fact, he says to those in Rome, he says, the reason I've been hindered from coming to you, earlier in the letter he writes that he really wanted to come to Rome. He says, it's because of this work. Uh, the, this is what God has called me to do. And he, he says, listen, I'm an apostle. And yet he's not just an apostle, he's an apostle to the to the Gentiles, and it's here where it's really important. Maybe we, we just put on the brakes for a minute and, and remind ourselves, when we first uh, see Paul in the book of Acts, we get an idea of sort of Paul's introduction to Christ and, and ministry. Prior to that, what was, what was Paul doing? You remember what Paul's job sort of was? He was a persecutor of Christians. In fact, when the first martyr that we know of uh, is recorded in the book of Acts, Stephen is literally killed. He's stoned to death for being a follower of Jesus Christ. It was Paul, we're told, who held their cloaks, the people who killed him. And in those days, that, 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 that understanding of holding the cloaks meant he was the authority on the scene who said, this is okay to do, you should kill Stephen. So in essence, Paul was actually a, a Christian killer. And all of a sudden, on the road to Damascus, he has this experience with Jesus that radically changes his life. And he's going to Damascus originally uh, to persecute Christians. He's going there to arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem. But Jesus intervenes in a miraculous way, and Paul comes to Christ. And this Paul, who was a Christian killer and persecutor, is now an apostle in the church. I I think it's important we realize that, because I come in contact with people really quite frequently who say, God can't use me because... And they give a picture of what they've done. And I go, well, listen, let me tell you about a man by the name of Paul. (laughs) Because he was a Christian killer and persecutor, and he became an apostle. So if God can do that in Paul's life, guess what he can do in yours? God is in the business of taking the the good, the bad, and the ugly and recycling it in our life. He was the original recycler, by the way. And and, and when you look at the bad and the ugly, you know, it's amazing to me. It's not, that, it's not that when we were doing those things, in any way were we glorifying God. In fact, we were doing the exact opposite. But God is so powerful that when we come to him, he can take the, the bad and the ugly of our past and use it for his glory in helping other people. How many times as believers, come on, I wish we had time to share our stories, where, where there's something in our past that we, we were like, man, I'm not proud of it, but look what God did through it. 
and it encourages somebody else. Maybe it stops someone from making the bad decision you did, or maybe it gives them hope that, hey, we made the same bad decision. You can be where I am with Jesus right now. And so Paul, who was this Christian killer and persecutor, he's now saying, listen, I'm an apostle, and he's telling him this because he wants him to understand what God has done through his life and bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. In fact, he uses this interesting wording. He says, really, but he's offering the Gentiles up as a sacrifice. That's sort of weird language. If I were to say this morning, I'm offering all of you up to God as a sacrifice, many of you would probably leave. Uh, Some of you would wonder what I was getting at. And Paul's using this sacrificial language, and he's doing that. And in Romans 15, 16, he's doing that because he's alluding to some Old Testament passages and prophecy. Look with me again at Romans 15, 16. Paul was called to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So he gives us this, this word, this priestly word. He's talking about this offering. He's referring really to two old... Testament prophecies. When he uses that last phrase, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, he's alluding to a prophecy from the book of Ezekiel that God would sanctify his name among the Gentiles in the last days. And this was so important because Paul was part of the chosen people, and we understand their story scripturally, that God uh, called from Abraham. He, He called a people who were not a people, and he called them not because they were special, because they were not. He calls them out so that through them, he'll preserve his word and he'll bring the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to the world. And that's so important because he calls all of us out, not because necessarily we're special, but because he loves us. And we're special because of him, not because of us, which goes back again to someone who says, well, why why would God ever call me to do this? Why would God ever call me out? Who am I? And the answer is no one, except loved by God, the creator, which means you're someone right? In other words, when you understand within yourself that you don't have much to offer in some ways, because after all, we're only human, we were enemies of God, it becomes even more spectacular to think, but the God of the universe loves us, and if God is for us, the scripture tells us, who can be against us? That's a big deal. And so Paul is is talking about how the spirit of God in in, in these last days, and you say, well, it's been 2,000 years, we're in the last days, the last days were initiated when Christ ascended into heaven. In these last days, the peoples of the earth are hearing the gospel and coming to Christ. Another reference he gives that he's referring to is Isaiah 66, 20. It's another prophetic passage. It says, they will return with all your lost brothers and sisters from all over the world. Again, it's this passage which is talking about the fact that God is calling all the peoples of the world unto himself. Everybody. Jesus died for everybody. Salvation is offered to everybody. And Paul is saying, listen, I'm a fulfillment of this prophecy. God is using me. In fact, he uses this description of signs and wonders, and it gives us sort of this this picture of the stories of the Exodus as well as the stories through the book of Acts. And God's doing this amazing thing because of the work that God had called him to do, but because of God doing it through him. He's an apostle to the Gentiles. And so he says to him. He says, I know that I've written to you boldly. And why does he want him to know he's an apostle before the boldly happens? Because he wants him to know he has all the authority to write boldly to them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I've been studying through Romans, and, you know, I love this book. I read it over and over again. But as I've been putting messages together in particular, you know, there are times where I've been very encouraged and there's times where I've just had to do that holy ouch. You know what I mean? 
We're, we're like, there's times I'm like, whoa, and there's times I'm like, whoa. <laughs> you know, where I'm really being stretched. And, and, and Paul's saying, listen, I, I'm able to write this to you because God has inspired me because I'm an apostle. And that was just as true to those 2,000 years ago as it is to us. That this is God's holy word, inspired, written to us through Paul, so we would know how to walk with the Lord. And Paul fully proclaims this, this wonderful picture. Look, look at what he says. He's, he's talking about the ministry that he's had and his authority to, to do these things. And look what he writes in Romans 15, 19. And probably this weekend, this, this is the, the, the verse that really is quite spectacular to me. He says, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all, through, all the way through Elycrium, uh, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. That's a big deal. Like, I should have put a map up here. I realized this last service, but I didn't. That's a huge area he's talking about. I mean, he's talking about basically all of Greece over to what we would know today as Italy, all the way across into Asia, through all, all of Turkey. I mean, he's saying this whole area has been fully reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I remember I was studying this passage with a, maybe a group of about another uh, 10 or so individuals. We were studying Romans together several years ago now, many years ago now. And a friend of mine, Richard Wooten, was in this group. Richard was a missionary to Moldova. Now, to give you a picture of Moldova, Moldova, of course, was what was previously uh, the, uh, behind the Iron Curtain. And when communism came into Moldova, it really sort of wiped out most of the church. It wiped it out either one of two ways, it, 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 through imprisoning, through killing, or through uh, them leaving Moldova and trying to find uh, freedom in the West. And so he was now coming back into this area that had become depleted, if you will, of Christian leaders. And he was a missionary in Moldova on furlough. And we came to this passage, and I said to Richard, I said, Richard, I'm not really understanding how Paul, with all integrity, and I, knew he's, I know Paul's right, I'm not questioning scripture, but I was. I said, I don't, I don't know how Paul really can say the gospel fully hit this whole area. How would he even know that? I mean, did he do a census? I mean, how did he know? And Richard said, I think you got a little like not the right picture of this. I said, well, help me out here. He said, well, when I went to Moldova, he said, my goal was two things. To see churches planted and a school established that would raise up leaders because of the depletion of Christian leaders in that country that would train leaders so they could go out and plant churches. I said, that's amazing. That's a great mission. I said, how do you, you know, how did it, how's it going? He goes, well, it has gone so well that I'm going to Ukraine when I return. I said, how can you go to Ukraine when there's so much work still to be done in Moldova? He said, my work's done. I said, your work's done? He said, yeah. He said, we have enough church plants, and we have a few schools that are established in different parts of the country there, and leaders are being raised, but now I can leave and go to Ukraine and do the same thing, realizing that Moldova has enough leaders being trained that everyone in that country will be able to have a repeated opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It blew my mind. He calls it a polling model, and I think he's right. This polling model where, where Paul could say, I fully have brought the gospel to this area, not because he personally had sealed the gospel of every person, but he had done his part to raise up leaders and plant churches and establish discipleship movements, but allowed for the gospel to, to then spread and hit every person so he'd have a repeated opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think it's amazing. Paul's not declaring in Romans 15, 19 that everyone in the geographical area he ministered was reached, but that they would be. But they would be, which is quite spectacular. And I take two lessons from this truth. 
The first is this, and this hopefully will allow you to exhale a little bit, but it may be a little challenging. I'm only called to accomplish what God has set me apart to do for him. I want you to think about that for a minute. When we look at the task that God has given us to make disciples who make disciples, how many would say that's a pretty big task? And when we look at the whole thing, big picture, there's a lot to be done. But at the end of the day, you are successful when you simply have done your part. Not everyone else's part, your part. And so at the end of the day, if we can say, today I did what God called me to do, we can exhale and go, I have succeeded. At the end of the day, if we haven't, here's the good news. And, and you know, we, we just honestly bring that to God. And we say, tomorrow is a new day. Tomorrow, let me do what you what you've called me to do. And, and as long as we're, we're doing our part, and by the way, in the church, there's, there's people who believe they have the gift of telling you what they believe God's goal is for your life. The Holy Spirit does a really good job with those around you who, who you trust and are pouring in you to help you figure that out. And all of our calls are unique. They're unique. And, and let me tell you something. The call that God may be putting on your life isn't a change in vocation, it isn't a change necessary of location, although it may be. My friend Richard, Moldova, Ukraine, God may call some of you to, to go elsewhere to do this. But for many, many, many of us, God's just calling us Romans 12, 2, to allow him to transform our thinking and allow the place where we're at to become our mission field. Like, like, like all of us are called to be disciples who make disciples, right, church? All right. And, and so that's our calling. But how it looks is different. For some of you, it's, it's, it's being a godly school teacher. It is. And being an example in our schools. And, and for some of you, it's a godly clerk. And for some of you, it's a godly, godly business person. For some of you, it's a godly stay-at-home parent. For some of you who are retired and, and you, you thought, man, I've raised my kids and now you're helping with your grandkids. It's being a godly grandparent. And by the way, let me say something to retired people. There is no retirement plan in scripture until heaven. Like we need you. The kingdom needs you. And I come across many a man who when he retires, he goes, I don't know what I'm going to do now. And then I play the role of that annoying person who wants to tell them God's will for their life. <laughs> and I go, well, can I just give you a suggestion? There's many young men who need to learn from you. And they'll often say, I haven't made the best decisions. I go, you need to share that. Make sure they don't either. <laughs> Some of the best lessons I've learned are from people who have made bad decisions and they've shared them with me. I go, I don't want to do that. And God has saved me from some of those things that took them down a bad road. So it's not always about moving our location or adding things to our calendar. It's just tweaking. Your neighborhood is your mission field. Your home is your mission field. Your workplace is your mission field. What God calls us to be is everyday missionaries in our everyday mission fields. The second thing is this. Reaching an area is not just by one person wanting to reach every person. It's really by establishing the proper leadership and a movement. It's being a part of a place that believes that as we gather that we're going to scatter, right? We scatter when we leave this place all over this region and because of the online campus, really literally all over this country, and are able to make a difference in the area where God plants us. That's why here at Crosswinds, we say we're here to know God and make him known. And I say this all the time because every church, every Christian, that's their call. They may word it differently, but we're to know him and make him known. In fact, we're committed to meet children, teens, and adults, wherever they are on their spiritual journey. 
and encourage them to take their next step in their relationship with God and others to advance his kingdom. Just their next step. I think sometimes we get overwhelmed because we look at the next 50 steps. Says, no, 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 what is this your next step? What is it? Is it to get part of a one-on-one discipleship through small group? Is, is, it, is it being a part of a small group minister? What, what is God calling you to do? Maybe, maybe it's simply you, the Lord's saying, there's a person he's laid on your heart that you're just going to start praying for. Maybe it's discipling your teenager. By the way, there's a challenge. I say, I'm just going to spend some time. Let's, let's talk about God together. We, we believe God's called us to be a part of this multiplying movement where disciple makers make disciples and make the other disciple makers. And here's the thing. I celebrate every person who comes to Christ, but you know what really excites me? When a person comes to Christ, they become a disciple maker, they disciple someone, and that person becomes a disciple maker. Like three generations, and I go, woo, something's happened there. I, I get excited about that. Many people say, well, I can't disciple anyone because I haven't been discipled. Let me tell you something. Chris is sitting right here. He'd love to talk to you afterwards. The material we use, you, you, don't, you don't have to have discipled someone to disciple someone. Like you can co-disciple and grow together. You say, well, I don't know. If I, just try it. It'll work. I get excited when small groups are established, new small groups. You know what I really get excited? When a small group plants a small group that plants a small group. When we have campuses that are growing, when we're seeing church plants, like you're going to be hearing about the West Henrietta plant that we're, we're, we're supporting and encouraging and, and pouring into. You say, well, I haven't heard much about it. Yeah, this little thing called COVID's made it a little difficult. They, they actually got on site a week before everything shut down. What can God do in that? Well, there's a church there right now, but wasn't there before COVID. Come on now. Come on. I hear people all the time saying, how dare you shut down the church? And I say, if they shut down your church, you weren't the church. Discipleship groups started through crosswinds during COVID. Small groups expanded through COVID. We have a church plant that we're supporting through COVID. God goes, what man, what man may look at and go, where's the hope? God says, I'm the hope, and I can do things that you never dreamt I could do. I do signs and wonders. I spoke the world into existence. COVID's nothing on God. You know what I'm saying? And it shouldn't be nothing on, that shouldn't be nothing on, God works to know God and make him known. He's calling us to be active participants, and, and active participants are just that. They're active. They're not mere observers, and Throughout, the, throughout our country, we have many churches that are just filled with observers. And observers are, are, are very happy to give nothing. They give nothing of their time, their talent, their treasure, their testimony. They, they just, just really are happy to give nothing. And, and we wonder why the church in America sometimes seems powerless. Well, if you're filled with observers, then you're not going to have any power because God doesn't have to empower people who aren't doing nothing. Am I right? Now, by the way, if you're not in Christ and you're here, Welcome, watch, but be an active watcher. Ask questions. If you're trying to seek the things of Christ, ask about Jesus. Don't just say, ask the questions. If you're checking out church, if you're saying, man, I'm just checking out Crosswinds, and you should be asking questions like, is that guy always that crazy up on stage? <laughs> I'm talking about Dave, of course. But um, no, no, no. Ask questions, be active. I, I always say to people when they say, this is my first time, I say, well, here's the thing. You come back twice, your family, you come back three times, you're part of the church. So if you've been here three times, I consider you part of the church. Get to it. Let's do things together. Many of our churches throughout our country are filled with consumers. Consumers are just those who are looking for more and more stuff from the church. And it's like, what do you mean from the church? We're the church. Get out and be the church. You know what I've learned? The older I get, and sort of turn the corner here for a little bit, I can't eat as much as I did and stay this fit person that's in front of you. 
What are you laughing at? No, no, what I'm learning. Like, I'm learning, like, 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 I could never really eat. Like, I, I would see a Big Mac and gain weight. But now I just think about it and I gain weight. You know, I don't even have to be there in front of me. And so I've got to work out a whole lot more to deplete the more Big Macs I have. And so sometimes I'll go and I'm like, man, I want a Big Mac. And I go, but I don't want to go to the gym more. Like, I don't want to add 10, 15, 32 days to, to get this thing off. You know what? And, and, and the reason the church in, in much of America seems like it's a little powerless is be, it's because there's, there's a lot of people who are consumers sitting there and, and they're getting fed, 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 and they're doing nothing, and they're just really fat Christians. And you just need to get out. And get out and be a Christian. But get out and be a Christian, and then all of a sudden you hit a wall and you go, man, I need help with this. Then we'll do something. I just encourage you. But, but, but are you following me? Are you following me? Or people go to church and they'll say, uh, man, that's not the message I came to hear. Right? And, and here's the reality. If God's working through the teaching team of Crosswinds and you're here, it is the message you need to hear. You just may not want to hear it. So consumers want to hear things that make them feel good. Active believers want to make things that allow them to be effective for the kingdom. Come on, church. You guys are all about this, so you're so easy. People say, how can you say things like that? I said, well, they're living it. It's, 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 it's easy. It's easy. But I, some churches, they would throw me out and never have me back. But it's okay. I wouldn't want to be there. It's good to be here. What's all this do? It brings us back to that original question. What does God, God specifically call me to do as part of his church, and, and am I doing it? So there's no greater joy than to be where God has placed us, doing what he's called us to do. In fact, you have to go all the way back to last fall. Let's go back, beginning of the series. Paul writes of himself, introducing himself, if you will, to the church in Rome. And he says, I am God's joyful servant. Now, let me say something. Paul did not have an easy ministry road. Like anytime I think of the challenges that I've had in ministry, all I have to do is think of Paul and I go, I haven't had any. Like he was imprisoned, he was beaten, he was once left dead outside a city. And then Paul, I don't know if he was thinking he just had more to do, actually walks back in the city and they go, don't come back in, they're going to kill you. He's like, well, I don't know. I just got some more things I need to say. And I mean, his ministry road was not easy. So how can he say he's a joyful servant? He's not saying joyful because things were easy. It's joyful because he's where God wants him to be. And I think that's a word for the church today too, who looks at our culture and says, this culture just doesn't reflect scripture. And I go, well, no, it doesn't. And much of culture has never reflected scripture, by the way, anywhere. And so it's our job as a church to reflect scripture to the culture. There's many a pulpit in this country right now that's preaching things that, that, that are being preached in our, in our society and, and not preaching scripture. And, and we're called to look at scripture and, and to live differently so that they can see a better way. If we look just like the culture around us, why would they be attracted to something different if it's not different? They need hope. And so with the whole time we've spent with Paul writing, that's why he spent all that time saying truth, yes, but truth and love. And when truth and love come together, there's something spectacular that happens, something spectacular. So this was Paul's past ministry. Now he gives us a glimpse into the future. Look at Romans 15, 23 through 33 up at the screen. Let's follow along together. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. 
At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So we get this picture from Paul in his past ministry that, asked, that causes us to ask the question, am I doing what God's called me to do? Do I know what God's called me to do? Am I doing what God's called me to do? And by his power, am I growing in that? And then he gives us this picture of the future ministry, and he gives us three prayer requests that have three answers and one application. The three prayer requests are this. He, he, he asked God, he says, first of all, I, I want to be rescued from the unbelievers in Jerusalem. In other words, he knows he's going to Jerusalem and that they don't like the, him there. And so he's saying, please protect me. And the second thing is, is that as he brings this gift to the believers in Jerusalem, that they'll receive it and accept it. And thirdly, that he'll go to Rome. Now, let me say that God answers all three of these requests, but not in a way that, God, not in a way that Paul probably intended. And I'm reminded of Isaiah 55, 8. My thoughts, God says of himself, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. How many of you found that to be true? And so Paul asks these things. And, and, and the first prayer request is what? That, that, that he'll be protected as he goes to Jerusalem. And Paul was protected. Do you know how he was protected? He was arrested. I don't think when he prayed, God protect me, he was praying, God arrest me. You know, have, have me be arrested. But because he was arrested, he was saved from a lynching and a flogging and being killed. And, and so he, he's arrested, he's protected by, by the Roman government. It's sort of a crazy thing, but the, but, but the prayer is answered, probably not in the way that he had intended. The second one was, we know he brought the gift to him. We don't know how they received it, but he brought the gift. And so that prayer is answered. The third one is, is also unique. He wants to reach Rome. Now, if, if Paul was just going to reach Rome from Jerusalem on his own, it would have either been from the offerings of believers in Rome or from working his way to Rome. But God had another plan. Paul's arrested. He appeals to Caesar. So now they have to take Paul to Rome. So the Roman government pays for Paul's passage to Rome. Probably not the way that he intended, yeah, Paul's way. God intended it. Paul was probably like, wow, this is sort of a weird trip. He gets there, it takes, th it takes three years. He gets there after three years in a shipwreck, by the way, where he all, you know, and, and he finally gets to Rome, all on, on Roman taxpayer dollars. Not so bad, I guess, but he's still a prisoner and we could go there. But God answers the prayer. He said, Kirk, what's, what's the point of all this? Well, I said there was three prayer requests, three answers, one application. When we pray, we got to leave the details to God. And so God calls us to something. We pray for, for what we need to accomplish that, but we got to leave the details to God. There's many times in my life where I have laid out my plan and God has taken me elsewhere. There's many times where I've prayed a specific request to God, and I believe praying specifically, but then I've given my footnotes, my suggestions, always with God, but your will be done, not mine. <laughs> wink, wink, right? <laughs> come on, God, come in. It, 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 no, no, when we pray, we got to pray and leave the details to God. And, and, because prayer is not getting what we, about getting what we want. It's about 
partnering with God's will. Here's the interesting thing, though. The more we learn how to be living sacrifice and partner with God's will, the more what he wills is what we want. It's amazing. It's amazing. Do I still have battles with them? Sure. But but I'm becoming more like Jesus. And, And as I become more like Jesus, I want God's will in my life, and then I want what God wants in me. If we're to joyfully serve God, then we... We need God's power and presence. We need to know, God, what are you calling me to do? What's my part in this world mission of, of being a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples? What, what is my part? And, and then, Lord, I, I pray for the power and resources to live that out so that not only will I be transformed, but I can be a transformed agent to the world around me. And so monthly, I, I give myself a job review. And, and I want to know... what. Am I living out my ministry assignment? What have I done? What have I not done? I, I encourage you to spend some time, even this week, and ask the, that, those questions. God, what are you calling me to do in the mission of the church? Not, not just cross, but the mission of the church. What are, you, what are you calling me to do? And am I doing it? Am I not doing it? And, and here's the, the tough and the good news. My guess is some of you, it's going to be extremely encouraging because you're in your sweet spot, you're walking it. Some of you may just be discouraging for a minute because you're going to be in such room for growth. There's so much I need to be doing. Here's the good news. Tomorrow's a new day. <laughs> Tomorrow's a new day. Go for it. Yeah, today's not over, right? That's good word, Chris. <laughs> Do it now. But, but go for it. Many a believer have sidelined themselves when God never sidelined them. If you're still breathing, you're still in the game. Still in the game. God has a work to do in you. He has a work to do through you. And as Paul was able to to give these words to us, may they be encouraging and challenging for us this morning. May we be excited about the God of the universe who calls us out to be not not spectators or just observers, but active participants, giving of our time, our talent, our treasure, our testimony for the kingdom. We are the hope of the world because we're ambassadors of the love and truth of Christ. And so as we gather to encourage each other, put the glory of God on display, we scatter so that the world will see the hope that we have in us, that we will love them in the love of Christ and with the truth of Christ. And I am so thankful to be a part of a church family who gets it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your word. (laughs) I pray this every week, but I mean it deep down. Your word is life. And when I think of the words that you've inspired Paul to write as we've been looking through Romans and as we wrap up the book next week, I pray that the teachings and our exploration in it has only just begun. Thank you for taking us where you want us, Lord. Thank you that you took Paul, who was a Christian killer and persecutor, called him to be an apostle and used him to make such a difference to, to build your church. When I look at that, I realize none of us in this room have done anything but can disqualify us from your call, from your love, from your work in and through us. So Lord Jesus, I pray if there's anyone here or online or at the Hopewell campus who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, but even now in the quietness of their heart, they would just call out to you. They would thank you for dying on the cross for their sins, being resurrected for their salvation. But they would enter into that relationship with you, Lord God, as Jesus is their Savior and Lord. And And God, for each of us who have made that decision, would you help us, Lord? Would you help us be able to walk as Paul did, knowing what you've called us to do and doing it wherever we find ourselves? 
thank you, but in this room are numerous and, and online numerous and on the Hopewell campus, numerous, Lord God, everyday missionaries in their everyday mission field. That wherever you've placed us, there's work to be done in us and through us and by your power, you do it. And there's no better place to be where you've called us. May we, like Paul, be able to say we are joyful servants. Servants of yours, joyful because of the work you're doing in our lives and through our lives. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for loving us, for calling us, for walking beside us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.